Does anybody here break dance? I did. You do? Mm-hmm. All right, so what we're going to do is move the table and we're going to do this. <laughs> I used to. I <laughs> <laughs> used to. Now. Yeah. Eddie, Eddie brought his cardboard. <laughs> he leaves it in the back of his car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is in the back of my down. car, actually. Let's roll. I got some windmills. I'd like to see that early. I mean, I'd break on the leg. <laughs> 50, that's not so dope. But I was kind of good back in the day. I was better at up, up rocking and pop locking and shit mm-hmm. more than getting on the ground. We had a party at but the I house. But I had some, you know, Planet Rock. I was getting down. My crew was called the Unique Breakers. We were on the cover of the Courier Journal, which is the local magazine, uh, local daily paper. I just from the street too. It's like either you come up with uh, graffiti, or it'd be like comic books, or like you know, yeah. from an art point. Like if you talk to, um, what's his name? He came over here. Your Who? friend Jim, Jim, Jim Evans. Evans yeah. yeah, same type of thing. He was into comic books, and that kind of started his kind of yeah his art um, ascension. Yeah, it's the same things. Me too. Comics. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I never got into that, man. I wasn't whimsical as a child. Everything had to be real for me. Mm. You know? I got into selling drugs, not comic books, like oh, super damn. early. Like when? 10, 11 years damn. old. I started selling firecrackers. That's how it started. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. So the dude was like, hey, I bought a brick. You can get four for a dollar. And then he's like, you're pretty good at this. What you know about this? And I'm like. You remember the guy from Boogie Nights selling those little poppers? That was Eddie. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> he's like, it's weed. And he's like, this is $10. Go see if the same dudes, because I was selling to older kids, go see if they like this. And I was like, cool. So I'd get my little five bags in my bag. Yeah, little. Like so mad young. But it was, you know, you're from, I mean, I don't, I've never, I don't know if you know, but for, for us, it was a small country town. It wasn't country. It was, it was a gated community but it was still small so everything is you know it was different you know mm-hmm. I think you know really talking about it, I think comic book was the like the the calmer way of going about it and he took the the you know tagging and it, it, it is yeah. really it's like yeah. okay I'm gonna just kind of go this way I could see it it's a little more organized I can yeah. I feel safe you know and then you have the kind of it's a little bit more on the I'm going to create my own situation well, I mean, out there. Well, think about, like, let's just jump off in the, into dads and, and parents, right? Like our role models as, as kids. Yeah. Your dad was a pimp and, and, and was running around with drug dealers, and my dad was similar to that. So it's mm-hmm. like, to me, my heroes were dudes that were getting bread and that were, like, in charge of shit and who had, for me, it was the Lincoln Continentals. It was the Mark V, Mark VI. That was my era because I'm 50. So if you had a nice Lincoln and a fly suit and some sunglasses and a babe, that was real. I could see that. Do with a cape or, you know, flying through the air, that wasn't, I was kind of like, wait, this is Superman to me. That dude is, he's white. I don't get it. You know, kind of different. That was just my experience. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, my, my motivation wasn't money. Like My, my motivation was uh, a vision. Like You know what I mean? Like uh, imagination and like. Like, it didn't make sense for me to probably be a comic artist. I mean, I, at some point I had to come to, like, realizations that, like, the chances of me making a living off of this thing. But I did, that's not the first, my first encounter wasn't with, like. Yeah, trying to know. get bread. Yeah. It, it, was just, a, it was taking it from here to there. Yeah, I was just. How you see it or somebody else sees it. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think my mom supported that. And I was like, I was, I was with my mom, my, my dad was uh was a in a like kind of locked up in like a psych psych ward and stuff too when i was like really when oh, i was wow. young was he was diagnosed uh, with uh schizophrenia yeah paranoid schizophrenia after like the the incident like an incident happened with him he and his father so you know for for me 
she tried to cultivate that stuff because she was an artist too and really interested in like dance, but didn't really have uh, the support of the people sort of around her and like family. Yeah. So yeah, it was just, it was, it was different. I was always like trying to figure out what was, what was next. So, well, I got into comics and I started drawing just characters, period. So it was like Ninja Turtles and little shit like that. Yeah. And then it, it evolved into comic books. And then I started to figure, like see like, okay, I have some choices that I can make creatively in this thing. How would I change these things? So I started like designing my own costumes for all of the like characters in my comics. And I would like mail them to Marvel and, and all this time like, as, a, as a kid because I was just really interested. I started, you know, start being interested in being the creator. Yeah. Like, you know, and um, yeah, I think some of that ties into religion. I remember like just being young and hearing the the the, the statement that we're made in, in God's image, and it's like okay, it's okay if we made made in God's image. It's natural that we want to create things too, like be sort of like gods of our own worlds and like create our own characters. And so I, I started getting into like world building at, at a uh, young age because of because of stuff like that. That's awesome. So it's like, but you know, those those images, those, um, I feel like in the 80s, the connection between media and toys was, I feel like just kind of finding its way. So like the He-Mans, all that stuff was marketed directly to kids. Like, and you had all of these things that like made what was an image, what was on a comic book page real. And you would see the commercials, fascinated and you see all of this stuff. And uh, I don't know, I think, that just captivated a lot of imagination. I th also think about like Electric Company and like all of the cool shit that those animators yeah. were doing at that time, just yeah. like really capturing kids' imagination. See, I was into that know? and the Muppets and shit. You yeah. Know? And I remember like my first favorite toy was Evil Knievel. You pull the little thing out and it I just saw him jump yeah. when I was a kid. And, oh, and, and, you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, that was dope. Like, I remember the noise used to just get me all geeked up. Somebody's playing. Thing. I'm, I'm going outside right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then and my favorite thing was the green machine, the big wheel. The did thing you ever the see that things, one? You're too young for that. So the big wheel was two wheels in one, right? But then they came out with this green machine that had this big... That shit was like sick. A, you like could slide it everywhere for real. With big wheels, so it had the front, and then the axle moved, so it was no longer like one thing with three wheels. It kind of moved, and it had gears, kind of like a shifter. So you were you were turning out. Yeah, and when Eddie rolled up, and all the other three, four year olds, he came up in his green machine and was like, "What's up?" Yeah, I was jacking it. I mean, listen, not for nothing, not for nothing, but I was the black kid in the neighborhood who had more money than all the other kids in my neighborhood. And the green machine. And they were all freaked out. So I had the new Schwinn. I had the new green machine. So you're right. They were in. They were on their little. The, I, I know which one. And smash into them. Because there was a kid on my block that had one. I took it. Yeah, uh, yeah, well. It had, because it was, it was different. Because everybody had, had the handles, but the green machine had these two bars yeah, these little that you little, moved up yeah. and down that made it like, wow. Made it slide around. <laughs> yeah, it was the thing. I'm going to go get one after we leave here, actually. Yeah, I got to look that up. That's green awesome. Machine. And we just, we just went through a remembering session, right? Yeah. Well, you know, when you said something about it's like your internal thing, like being an artist, being creative, right? You didn't set out to make bread because that's not what you're thinking. What you're thinking is internally is to express. Yeah. You have art happening and visions are going on in your head. And you're like, I need to express this shit. You find out later it's worth money, but you're not doing it for money. See, I feel the other hustle when you're on the street, like say editing graffiti, you're, you're expressing and doing things in a different way. Yeah. And you're creating a surrounding that will become art later, but it's coming from a different place. I feel like you know when you look at those two polarities yeah like either from like street artists to well we did it for the fame 
you know mm. we i mean straight up we did it so that you know what you write that was the thing what you write you know yeah. and we'd go to another school party and they'd be like oh shit you're from that crew wow you're up all we'd go to specific neighborhoods like yeah. there'd be a party on saturday we'd be like on thursday we're gonna knock that that hood so when we show up to the party the fly girls will be like yo those are those dudes mm -hmm. and it worked you know and didn't it, it seem like though like the the graffiti I'm guys building a brand that's pretty they much did, but they started turning into gang it's like it started they, to border I into mean, gangster you I know mean, because it started out art but then because of the clicks got you know and i then mean it if you want to speak more. on that you know i i yeah we you know there's been dudes who have been shot and stabbed and, and beat down pretty oh, yeah. aggressively because there's a there's a soft line between gangs and graffiti i mean yeah. that was one of my things was i was mad macho so i was the dude in the clique that would fight anybody and like go through that i never got good at being an artist mm. that my thing was figuring out how to build the brand mm. so we'd go to a party and knock somebody out right off the top and for the rest of the night it was cool <laughs> that yeah. was building the brand yeah don't fuck with those dudes that light-skinned fool just knock somebody out you know that was building the brand so you're right it was definitely you know a little rough and dangerous at times you know but but it was it was definitely an expression like of us like disapproval of the system and and, and all that too so it was kind of a little undercurrent yeah you, yeah for sure I were you in a graffiti crew yeah, we used, to, we used to write, I, I think about like the history of hip hop period, right? And it, it kind of went from gangs and then, you know, them, them using like dancing and using these other things to actually not be be violent. But you get that no matter what, like when there's competition, I feel like the the cap, like capitalism, the society we live in just breeds a system of super competitive, mm. you know, interest and in like really going. And I think that's all of what, that's, I think hip hop, had to be the result of a capitalist society because in many ways it's about like yo i'm trying to identify i'm trying to speak or make this statement and have people know who i am i'm trying to get that fame i'm trying to yeah. get up and have people i'm trying to be the best in the city i'm trying to go all city yeah is what they would say and in chicago it was different because it was like um it was gang culture that still existed so a lot of the people that were in gangs or had people in their gangs were also writers and yeah you show up to parties and like people get stabbed like it was like it was rough it was like yeah. gang banging and the hip hip hop right. stuff. right it's confusing time. you know because mm -hmm. when the art started coming well, in, i mean reading those guys and my guys they didn't do art it was strictly well yeah but that hood was rough though the north north hollywood there was you know the north hollywood boys i mean i was you know some of my crews from north hollywood boys it was definitely was dangerous you know mm -hmm. because we were all broke and we were all angry and we were all trying to say something and it was quick to agitate you know it was, a, it was a agitated kind of environment yeah. you know based on social status and, and issues mm -hmm. you know i think actually the beauty of it is actually seeing the art when it's done and then seeing other clicks and people looking at it and appreciating it yeah you remind me of uh chris lighty you ever yeah, that's funny. yeah 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 like your story kind of yeah. reminds me of uh lighty's story um what was the name of the podcast he did mogul yeah, uh, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't heard that it's good that. it's really good it talks about i mean he was the he was manager for like Q-Tip and Busta Rhymes. And yeah, like I know all he is. Yeah, so. I did a hip hop club here in LA called Jamaica House. Okay. And we did the first Biggie Show Small. We did the first Tribe Called Quest show. We did the first Root show. We did the first Fuji show. Cause there was no other game in town where they would allow black people, that many black people to get in the same room. Mm -hmm. And it was 90s and I, we, I did street team shit for Puffy. So I know all those dudes from way, way oh, back, yeah. you know? And that was times when music meant something, you mm -hmm. know? And I mean, your boy does it, it means something. Mm -hmm. But like a lot, a lot of it don't really mean anything yeah. anymore. Niggas talking about stuff that they're never gonna do. Yeah, yeah. There's no spiritual substance or no social, I don't know how to say it, but it's just all, it, 
at a spiritual deficit. Yeah, you know, it doesn't move you. He's like, yeah, uh, escape, escapism, and like it's like a lot of it is just purely fantasy and like this image or this character like, people are creating in it. Yeah. Real shit. Like, well, like, instead of becoming art, they're trying to create something they think that somebody wants yeah, versus something that is, is going to come from the inside dreamy out. Dreamy shit that you're never going to get. Right. But not for nothing. Like the first time I heard Chance's music, my daughters played it for me. Right. And I got 19 and 16 year old mm. daughters, and I I, I I wept a tear, bro, because mm. I was happy that my kids had that. I wanted to ask you sure. something on, on on mental illness. It seems to be something that you that you you know you have something to say about. And one of the things I I I have a little bit in common with you is my dad was diagnosed with schizophrenia mm-hmm. and uh so in going through this awakening one of the things that my wife was really trying to and they were trying to establish is that it was happening to me mm-hmm. and it was a trip um because my whole life i was like trying to be not like my dad mm-hmm. you know what i mean like she's like that's what you don't want to be mm-hmm. that right there so you, in your head you're like okay i want to make sure i'm not like him but really it's my dad you know everybody has a role model of their father and if you think of what schizophrenia does, it's like it's it, it really dishovels your thought process, and and then you're looking at somebody going, "Fuck, it's my pop!" Like you know, yeah. so it's hard to kind of you know because you want to put the best picture in your head as you can of you know of this man who you who gave you life. But that for me was a trip, and then I was going like, "I don't feel schizophrenic," and then to feel tagged with that, you know, did you feel did you ever feel like they were trying to, you know, yeah. rub that out on you a little bit? Yeah, well, kind of. I kind of di- like in, like digested the information or whatever in a, in a different way. But I want to get some, some context uh, first before before we hop in. Absolutely. Then we we got in. We just started getting into it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my name is Brandon, bro. I'm a artist designer based in Chicago. Um, I did design for a while as like a as a service in service industry, ad agencies, design agencies, stuff like that. But I've always created art. Um, I've been a fine artist since before I can remember. Um, and now that like manifests itself into uh, painting, like oil painting, and then also exhibitions or installations I do. And a lot of the work that I do speak directly toward mental, towards mental health awareness based on uh, my experience. And um, yeah, my, my experience in life with my father's situation around me in the community I'm from, it's just something that that I speak about because I'm, I'm passionate about the conversation and passionate about education, helping people and awareness. Mm. Um, so that's me. I, I started doing album covers for friends. I end up doing uh, Chance the Rapper's album, uh, mixtape covers, really propelled me in a whole nother space. Uh, so I work now with brands and friends and everything else to kind of create visual uh, imagery that best pair with projects that they're putting out, media that they're putting out. It's basically what it is. A creative strategy is also what I, what yeah. I call it. Um, and for my, my father, you know, what we were speaking on, even my father's diagnosis and how that impacted me, uh, I didn't know the whole story of what happened when I was younger. My mother told me, to, like chose to kind of keep me away from the full story, but at the same time, um, very aware in, in some ways. and. She didn't, the, the thing I love my mother for is she didn't put any type of resistance or resentment toward my dad. Um, she left it open. She didn't like raise me to kind of be like, you know, like mm. anti my dad or what my dad's experience was. And what, what had happened with my father is that uh, 
he and I, you know, for a long time I thought it was it was a LSD, um, and that's why I stayed away from like anything drugs, drugs period, for like the longest time of my life because I had a fear. I had a fear that I would grow up and like that would happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that fear ended up, I ended up putting that fear into my creative outlets and kind of created something from it. But what happened? My, my father was experimenting with PCP. Um, at that time, in the late se- like seventies, early eighties, and his and I, you know, I had this conversation with my aunt. My aunts are like they rough, you know. They like they like real, very real about the situation and everything. Where in ways that my mom and my grandmother didn't sort of want to talk about, as my my father's sisters, and you know, they were telling me that at the time he was experimenting with PCP, and uh, uh, from his perspective. Uh, he was able to do it because he was a musician, right? So is it, there's this relationship between musicians and drug use, um, I guess feeling creativity and experience that musicians can handle that lifestyle or that that's, that's something that, uh, that comes hand in hand with being a musician. Right. I, that was sort of his perspective of what happened was he, he, he had an episode, he came home and he ended up taking his father's life. And that changed the dy- dynamic for everything. This was on the day that I was supposed to be born. Like I was supposed to be born on March 3rd. That happened on March third. I ended up being born two days later, um, with a lot of like complications. And I think, I think that goes to energetically, like spiritually, how things um, shift and like shuffle. So after that point, my mother started having like complications in her delivery. Um, so yeah, I think I think energetically, like emotionally, um, where we are impacts people in our life whether we like know it or not you know i i feel like that's something that i still don't know and i'm we how much do we know about how connected we are um to one another psychically or in one place or another place right anyway um that ended up happening and i was raised to kind of stay away from drugs not knowing much about that situation but i i developed that fear i think around maybe 12 or 13 they started talking to me about schizophrenia, about exactly what it was, because I really didn't have the whole whole story, um, and that amplified. That's when it really started. Like, damn, I don't want to. I don't want to lose my mind. I don't want to do these things. Um, so what occurred to me naturally is like, man, I need to make sure I use this medium of art to to really express myself, because I don't want to withhold and I don't want to hold in um, these emotions and hold on hold on to these feelings and not have them be expressed. And have them turn into something else, like literally turn turn into something else. So I started creating work, and I started creating work that kind of spoke to the anxiety I was feeling, and started to create characters that embody these qualities or these things, so that I wouldn't have to. It wouldn't have to be me. Um, but that that was sort of my my way of of uh, dealing with that, turning the fear into like a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I think it was just the media I was surrounded by, I don't know where I got the idea from or any of that stuff, but it was the media that I was around as a kid and like, I feel like that was a lot of the message being, being pushed, like not, not withholding everything and being fully expressed. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the, the creators that were making this stuff around the time when I was a kid. And that's why we, when we were talking, had that conversation earlier, man, cause mm. that really helped like guide um, where I saw my creativity could, could go and what I saw it could do, could do for me. When you hear about even what you just said just now about your decisions, about things going on in your mind, mm-hmm. where other people would act out differently as you took the art and used it as your, you know, 
to navigate through these things that normally I feel that some, certain people kind of would shut down or end up somewhere else, you know, end up somewhere else. Mm. Man, I think that's just a, like, as far as the story, like what, what ultimately ended up happening to my, my dad and the whole situation um, was different than a lot of people's experiences. I mean, cause it wasn't after, it wasn't until after that point that um, he got diagnosed with schizophrenia and it was directly related to like, to what he was doing. Like, you know, experimentation, like usage and whatnot. Um, and his relationship with his father was a huge part of it too. It was yeah. why he started kind of self-medicating. I took him to a like, I took him to a healer once. Like I, I really got, I got into spirituality and I got into healing. I started doing like these meditations and being- Were we 17? Oh. No, this was like when I was like 23, around that time. Okay. My dad came back in my life. He came back from Houston. It was this, it, he went to, he, they moved him to Houston for treatment, but also to kind of like, uh, just kind of like have him get away, right? And uh, like almost a um, retreat type Reset. thing, right? Yeah. Thing, yeah, yeah. So my grandmother actually moved down there with him and you know, just trying to just provide support for my dad. And something happened with, a, with an officer down there because eventually he got, he wasn't in the, long like in the institution, but he was like going in and out of like homelessness and just kind of doing his thing, medicating so he wouldn't hear the voices or whatnot, but he didn't want to take the medication that they prescribed because it was depressing him and it was like suppressing, he yeah. felt like it was suppressing who he was. Yeah, of course. So he like, he got into an incident with a cop on the street. The cop ended up uh, physically assaulting, assaulting him um, and it went to trial and there was a case and he ended up winning the case. And at that point he came back to Chicago, but he came back at a time where I was kind of being introduced to meditation and all of these other um, tools, man, all these other like really powerful tools for uh, mental wellness and mindfulness or whatever you, mindfulness is like the word now, right? right yeah. But tools for that stuff and I was, at the time I was kind of like being introduced to all of these healers and these people doing this, this, these different things. And I took him to a, a healer once, her name was Adiva. She's like real intuitive. And I, um, I took one course with her like a couple years before that point. And um, I really wanted my father to have that experience. And she went, went through this practice, it was called body talk. It's like a mixture of a lot of indigenous practices and a mixture of a lot of different things used to kind of, um, diagnose and like heal the individual self right so a lot right. of these cultural remedies for certain things like simple things like allergies but but a lot of things and one of it one of the parts is like using kinesiology to get affirmations and yes and no like answers from the body and leading the leading um the person through a system of yes and no's to kind of identify where the problem is coming from anyway she did a session with my dad and what came up was his dad, like, and she didn't have a conversation with him at all. Came up with his father, and and she pinpointed the exact time he started like using, exactly like sort of what happened. It was it was crazy. It was like was he this, tripping. He was he was my, my dad was like super skeptical. He wasn't kind of like he was into it, but kind of like out of it. And I think what it was a little revealing for him. So I think he kind of like pressed the brakes a little bit, yeah, yeah. right? Because it's just like. Exposed? Yeah. yeah. Too much, too, too yeah, much, too like, quick. Yo, yo, yeah. Hold up, that? I ain't trying to share all that. <laughs> exactly, you know? like, exactly. This gotta go at my pace. Right, so it was just a, and the reason I, the whole reason I took him is because, man, I, I started, uh, for a period of about a week, I would wake up and I couldn't speak. It was like my, my throat was kind of closing. It was just strange thing, whatever that was going on with me. And um, 
I, I was trying to figure out what was going on and I went to her and I asked her like, yo, what is, and she brought up my dad. And then like, it was just, it was crazy. She was like, there's something you need to say to your father. You may not know it. It may not be something that impacts yeah. you, but you need to say this to him. Oh shit, was she clearing like, ooh, like. Yeah, she shit. was like, help like. Like yo, clearing shit for both. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right now, like, I'm like, yeah. Exactly. Did you feel it? Was he? Did he feel that when that was happening, or did you? Did I felt it for sure, yeah, man. Because yeah. it was like, man, you. I didn't talk to you about my dad. You really don't know much about this. She's like, look, it's from the, your father's side of the family, and it's something you need to say to him. And it may not be something that you feel like you need to say, but it may be something he needs to he hear. Needs to hear. And yeah. because of that, you having that issue with your with your with voice the, yeah, box, with your throat. throat. Yeah. And with that, you know, with that chakra, and I'm like, wow. So. I took, I went, I took him out and I had the conversation with him about what had happened in the past and what I didn't know at that time is nobody talked to him about what happened to his dad. Like no one had that conversation with him. So um, it was the first time somebody was really speaking to him about it. And you know, my message to him was like, uh, my mother never taught me to, to not like you. I never hated you. I've always like loved you, you know what I mean? And, and just really telling him like, yo, you, you're loved. I, I love you. I know that happened in the past, but I'm not judging you based on what happened you know in your life and it was something that was freeing for him he spoke to my grandmother about it he spoke to other people i spoke to my sister about it after that and she that's when she told me like no one has talked to him about this you know since it happened and a couple days later start going away like what was going on with me start going away so it's just it's it's really interesting i'm interested in the connection between spirituality and, uh, and, and mental wellness, right? And then how these things manifest themselves, things we're feeling emotionally manifest in ourselves and manifest in other people we connected to. Yeah. We don't even know, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not even sure where, where we were in the combo, nah. but I'm trying to give a little bit of context around. No, yeah, but that's wow. spot on, that's spot on. Yeah, because then you're clear and in, in, in meeting that and to go through the feeling of that, because you don't really know if you're living, uh, you know, the muggles everybody walks around i call them muggles you know it doesn't realize when you when you crack open and you start to feel these things you start to see how much we pick up on everyone else's energy mm-hmm. you know you walk by somebody and they're all and you you're, what the fuck are you? Yeah. oh i just got zapped yeah you got to keep a strong frame and what you put in that that system so that you can keep yourself safe from vampires yeah because it happens and you don't realize but as you start to understand like wow these we're all vibration and that dude's negative vibration is gonna fuck mine up. Absolutely. So I gotta keep a good seal on this. Absolutely. Yeah. But the clearing is so real, like, and it's so helpful. Like more people, my dad was um, diagnosed with schizophrenia. He had two twin daughters and one of them passed away when she was five. Hmm. Now I don't know anything that could drive anyone to maybe crack or have a, a, a but I would say that would be about it. Hmm. And due to that, he suffered uh, the breakdown and then And then the other stuff that he would do to kind of medicate himself, mm-hmm. right? Because then he started to go, I'm going to just medicate myself because he didn't want to listen to what people told him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's when heroin started. But mm. ultimately, it's a, a thing about mental wellness. And I think really speaking from the heart and talking to somebody and really caring what's happening with them. Because I think to diagnose somebody, everybody with the same thing when we're all different human beings, yeah. that's hard to do. We're, we're different people, you know, and they, they put us into a slot. Like, you know, in the 50s, if you were gay, you're crazy. Same mm-hmm. shit, right? So they find a place to put you if they don't know what to do with you. Experiment, giving people lobotomies, like all type of. I'd crazy. rather have a bottle in front of me mm-hmm. than from the bottom. So you have people on the street. 
-hmm. they'll sit there all day and then and then they're fighting for their lives because they're gonna go what they do keep walking where the fuck they gonna walk to and then they go inside there's nowhere to go you go to jail you keep walking it's 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 wild and they're human beings they're real they're people like if you sit down and talk they'll be they'll tell you a real story about what they want to do about going on a boat trip for Thanksgiving because they haven't done it or seen their family. Mm. And then you start to go, oh shit, there's a human, they're human people. They're not being looked at like that. Mm. And I think society, because it's so easy just to disregard and that is that mental illness bucket, bup, and they forget about you. Yeah. You know? And I, I do feel that with art, it, it, it helps people come out of these, these, these dark places, you know? And then they're able to express themselves and heal. It's a, it's a definitely yes. healing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, you know an important therapy, uh, and I didn't. I think we don't like necessarily the things that we gravitate toward. We don't like take them as therapy all the time, or um, a, a meditation, or a form of like freedom or a form of expression, right? Um, like I didn't start art because I felt like art making art because I felt like art was gonna help me at these certain times, but it's a, it's like a it's something that I gravitate to, and it's, it's literally a tool for my life. And it, as, I, as I create work for these different clients, I also have to remember to do work for me because that's the whole point. Like, I'm in this position, right? Because I, I've, I explored this, and I got to wherever I am doing this, but I can't stop creating art for my personal freedom of expression and my personal therapy. Um, and when, you, when people start taking this out of schools or when funding gets cut in schools, that's the first thing that goes. The art programs, and it's the, really the kids' coping mechanisms for the stuff that they actually have to deal with. Mm. So I think I don't think that's talked about enough, like how art is really a tool. Like, yeah, it's a tool to get get money, get these other things, but it's a tool for life to get through this and like peace of mind. Yeah, it really mm. is. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they identify abuse, mm -hmm. whether it be sexual or physical, in, in in schools when kids draw about it. You know, it's a good point. I never. It's the only really time they'll talk about, about it is they'll draw. They can draw. Express. It. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. And you know what, what we talked with Amanda Sage and, and she told us about like when she was young, she meditated in school. Imagine if in Chicago or wherever it's needed where they talk about all the problems that are happening in, on the south side, right? Mm -hmm. Throw some meditation and enhance the art program and then watch the kids flourish because yeah. they believe in themselves all of a sudden because they're able to take a minute away from all the bullshit and really you know, develop that part of your brain that you don't have time to do because you're worried about how you're going to get to school. You're worried about, is Your there going to be a problem on the way? How do I look? You know, the, the, you know it, it's, 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 a, it's, a bad, it's a bad system out there when you start taking art out of, class, out of mm -hmm. schools. They had a, That's um, a good point. Inner cities in, in L.A. and they brought meditation just to see how it would do, do some trials. And it cut the violence down by about 50%. You could look it up, Google it. Mm -hmm. When I read that, and, you know, you think about where people start to have those, you know, wrong roads, and then where people end up is in correctional facilities. These places are where we need to to teach people what's happening in their inner self, not not you know what outside of what's happening. They they need to understand what they what they really have control of, what they've been given. Yeah, Marianne Williamson spoke about sixty seven percent of people incarcerated do not have high school degrees. Mm. But yet we're not trying to make sure everybody has a fundamental good school to go to. Like that's the basics, right? It starts with the kids. You know how much money that they have and because they'll send checks out to people that are homeless, but homeless people don't have a place to send money. 
they can't cash their checks <laughs> to fucking yeah. it, so yeah. it's they, they play this game it's like they have all these people what they need to do is create a crm right like you know you go to jail that you, you have a record if you had 47,000 homeless people in LA, why wouldn't they have a database so that they know, oh, there's Bob. He needs his office meds. He'll start tripping. It'll cost $1,500 to call an ambulance out, get him there. He'll be in, be fed, be out. You created like a YMCA facility with a, a, a database so that you know these people and what they're dealing with so you can treat them like human beings so they have a name. Mm-hmm. It's real, like they, 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 look, the system's it's not, I'm not going to say it's broke, but they could make it better yeah. by giving it attention in the right ways. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start saying that everything that the system is is broken, then it's saying that it, it's, it's, look, this is a great place to live. But I think that there's changes that can be made. But ideally, you have to be thinking from the heart. Like Marion Williamson, she was saying things that were so important to our souls, not to us as individuals. Like us as soul people, us living here, we can't keep going on the way we are, the way society is. Our souls... It, 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 it's like a soul depression we'll, we'll start to split mm-hmm. like you know like you can take so much but our, our souls need love they need nourishment they, you know what I mean and then you thrive off of it how do you feel when someone goes and gives you that hug like I, I love being hugged now we just talked about this because yeah. people hug me before and I'd be like yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's cool no I'm cool with you <laughs> just because I was always like you know you, you we're cool you don't have to come too close to me yeah but that gets on the Aquarian and Piscean and the new I shit just was weird like that I, I don't yeah. mind how I'm cool with hugs because and then I then when I start hugging then I would hold my breath and then I was like okay I'll stop holding my wow. breath yeah no just because I was like it'll be done in a minute mm. it's for real because I wasn't releasing anything to them or any of my energy I probably so I was just like Okay, we're cool, hmm. you know, but it wasn't really like really trusting or believing. So, you know, people go heart to heart and they go and you really do it. You're like, oh, that feels right. But I've been fighting it, fighting it. You know, you keep just like anything like, ah, oh, that's weird. Everything, they'll think I'm gay or hmm. <laughs> you'd have all these things in your head that you think you may be identified as hmm. when all you're trying to do is show a little bit of love. <laughs> yeah. That's the trip. That's interesting. Something you said reminded me of my friend, my friend, uh, DeRay, DeRay McKesson, he's an activist. Um, He's like activist. He, he was one of the people who was on the ground, sort of reporting what was going on in Ferguson when everything was happening in Ferguson. Um, and he was a, a member of like, of, uh, in in the beginning, a member, member of Black Lives Matter. He was an activist, former educator in the Baltimore school system. He was like head of education. I think he might have been like the youngest. Did they person highlight him on the news? Yeah, a bunch of times. I time. think I saw that. He's like all over. Yeah, I think I saw He's that. All of these things, but um. He talks a lot, like you know, he he um, made his business to kind of address the, uh, address um, systematic and like social issues that kind of um, are systems that need to be redesigned and rethought, right? That impact people in a t- like in these crazy ways. And one of the things he talks about a lot of times is bail and like how how bail, like having bails for people to kind of get out of jail and do all this other thing, costs the state like so much money and so much it's hard for people to kind of, people don't have the money to pay them, right? So yeah. people just kind of end up in these situations. It's a trap. Yeah, so his, a lot of him is like writing legislation and like to, to get rid of bail. Like a lot of these really small things that you don't think about because you might not have those same situations that people don't like, that like phone, like what phone? If people are, are homeless, they don't have a cell phone. How are you contacting these people? Just some, and like cash and checks as you were saying, like Can't. debit cards, like who, who has a 
people have a bank. How are they getting this information? Yeah, but so the system is set up to fail. Like you no, said, they it's do it not purposely. broken. Yeah, yeah they do is, it. they're like, we're going to give this amount of money to these people, but yet they can't find these people, and these people can't find them. Yeah. So they have leftover and extra money. It's made to fail. Bail. It's like when ASAP got Iraqi got locked up. There's no bail over there. Mm. That system's not perfect. But they highlighted how our system is meant for people to stay in jail. Yeah. It's an economic system to make money. Business, because yeah. you get locked up for possession. You're out there on the streets. You don't have money to make bail, so you're going to do 30 days. The prison makes money. Everybody's yeah. making bread off of you, and all you did was have some weed or a small amount of substance that on you. That bed is yeah. worth cash. That bed yeah. is a number. That's it's, it. It's, so like right off the bat, the way they're doing it, like that is a problem. Because mm -hmm. if they started treating like human beings, people would come out right yeah. it's a correction facility but it, you want to but it goes to illness versus wellness right and exactly. i like how you said wellness and people start ad addressing the wellness portion so imagine if it's an affirmation mental illness mental illness mental illness mental illness fuck everybody's ill yeah mental wellness mental wellness mental wellness mental wellness you, you start feeling even better when you say that like i'm not joy and i don't light up like he does but i got a little chills when i said wellness mm -hmm. and i felt shitty when i said illness yeah it's a trap and it's a system like you said and your boy's on it mm -hmm. look if, if, if water has him. memory we should holler at him and support whatever he's going through because that you know in the hood we need more people who think that way and who are trying to raise awareness to those problems because mm -hmm. everybody knows it but nobody's talking about it it's like your dad when you spoke to your dad and none of the family wanted to bring it up because they were afraid it was gonna of what it might what might happen mm -hmm. but you were brave enough because you had to the universe told you by affecting your chakra that you had to go and have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And if people were more in tune with what's going on spiritually, like you mentioned, we'd be making a lot more change in this world. Yeah. Because you would react and you'd be intuitive. Like you said, Adiva, that was her name. Yeah. Yep. You know, you'd be intuitive. We'd be way more intuitive to go out and actually prompt action mm -hmm. versus sitting on it. Mm -hmm. And we pay $15 to go see superheroes do shit that we can actually do. <laughs> and then if you start doing it, they'll go, oh, he's fucking crazy. What are you doing? He's tripping. Hey, tell them about the, the little Joey flying. Oh, that was Chaz. That was actually Chaz. It was Chaz, my I son. I thought it was little Joey. And he was, you know, you know, it was, it was wild. And, and he was jumping off to see, I'm jump, I'm a jump. I can fly, I can fly. And he's up there. It was pretty high, right? And this guy comes by and goes, hey, kid, don't do that. You can't fly. And I stopped and I said, don't do that. He's like, what? I go, don't tell my kid he can't fly. And he stopped to look at me. I go, he may fly one of these times if he thinks. So don't, don't put that <laughs> in his head that he can't yeah. fly. You'll fuck yeah. my son up, bro. Mm -hmm. And he yeah. just kind of got silent and looked at me. <laughs> and then my son jumped, probably almost broke his leg. But ultimately, it was one of those things that me and my kids still talk about. <laughs> because he always said that, like, I would give him that room to do things that he felt mm -hmm. that he couldn't, mm -hmm. you know, and expand in certain ways. And I... It's hard to do that because you always want your son to be safe. Yeah. You know, almost overly safe. You're overly protective, but you want your son to fly. Yeah. You know, in a healthy way. Mm. So that was like one of the things I told Eddie about. And it was yeah. like stuck yeah, in my I mean, head. Yeah. I mean, and that's another systematic thing where they try to oppress us and hold us down is imagination, which obviously you've got a good tune in how to develop yours and use yours for good cause. But they don't want you to think you can do things that will open you up to like endless possibilities. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, that's it, not possible. That's yeah, and I think just even from people to people, family. A lot of times, family because it doesn't fit in their perspective of what they see you being possible of. Yeah. A lot of times, people, friends around you, when you start to do things that expand the expand past of their imagination for you. Yeah, I'm going you know? through that now. Yeah, man. You know, being a being an ex thug, 
whatever, and I'm mm. doing the podcast with Joey, I get the remark from some of my hard-headed yeah. homies like, oh, you're a spiritual gangster, huh? Good luck with that. And it's mm -hmm. like, I'm not trying to do this. This wasn't, I didn't wake up and go, let me try and figure something out different, or I need to date a different type of person or get a new kind of job or revenue stream. It's just something that happened you know, over experiences. And like every time I sit down with Joey and someone like you, I learn something new and it puts more batter, like juice on my battery, mm -hmm. you know? But it, you're right. They think, no, you're just a dude that's gonna punch somebody that says something wrong. So you're never gonna really be zen. I've been guilty of it too. I think just as a, being a human and having a perspective and sometimes only having the capacity, only seeing certain things, You, I think the way we deal with reality is like, we find a, a way to, relate to it that's stable yeah that you can and when certain things seat. start changing yeah. like sometimes we don't have the best reaction you know what i mean right, right. and like i you got i feel, I feel like you have to constantly check yourself you have to constantly know who you are and know your mission and what you're doing because you know know that people sometimes can see things like that and sometimes people can't see what you see my mom told me like very young like they're not going to be able to see what you see know that and understand that and keep doing what you need to be doing because just because they can't see what you see doesn't mean you're not seeing that shit yeah. right and that it's not gonna be real yeah. that's you like she she pushed that though yeah you know and it's it was, it was, I like her experience you know she was pushing it from because she wanted to be a dance she wanted to do all this these things and she was held back because at that time it was like get a job go get married yeah. have a baby because it was a very different time absolutely she's she still with you is great, she still here yeah good great visionary my mom like you know a lot of the things I'm doing today is she visualized it. Like, she put, literally put the intention of me, like, being able to have the freedom to do the things. And it, and it, and it happened. You know, I think um, I'm a result of my, of my mother's manifestation. And, and I see it. Right. That's great. I see it all the time, you know? That's wonderful. So, like, I think that's just an important, important thing to kind of to tell the youth, to, to tell people, and, and constantly remind myself of, too. I, I'm... I get called on to get feedback for things all the time to tell what I think about things creatively. And it's, it's tough. Like, I don't want to limit anybody's dream, imagination, what they can see in the, in the project. So like, even through that process of being creative, I got to be careful that I'm like, like not um, unintentionally putting the limitations of what I might be able to see in the moment on a situation on a, on something my friends are creating or something someone's making, you know, right. It's, it's, it's great. It's beautiful, man, though, because, you know, it's, it's life. You know, I want to be surprised at the same time. Like, yes, like, I don't know. I, it's, I, I think about that a lot, though. And I think about um, just the whole process of, of creating a lot. Yeah. I mean, speaking of you talk is being like a conscious cat. And, and I guess what I was trying to think of when I was talking about my son is that when you talk, you know, you, you have these stories. And my son came over with his friend and he was talking about some stories when I was younger. And a lot of the stories when I was younger were always stories like what you hear Eddie talking about. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've always laughed at them, even some of the bad things they did. And I just recently, I, it's hard for me to talk about it now because I don't want to glorify it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's cool to talk about it a little bit, but then I actually think about the stuff I was doing and I feel like got to be watch of the stuff that we talk about and how we talk about it. Because mm -hmm. when you glorify it, they, kids will look at that and go, wow. So that's where we have to like, you know, because it is, it's hard because you, you talk about things in laughter. It's like, you know, it's, it's, but it's you got to really be careful of how you talk about the things that you do or mm -hmm. especially me and eddie because you know it's really important I, i've learned from them they have to be looked at as things that we learn from not to do because i learned from it you know to so not do it again and to hopefully you know to and teach other people moving forward that 
they have an opportunity to do these things like in, with art with music so that they don't have to go in and start doing you know shit because they don't have anywhere to silence their mind mm -hmm. and so what happens is is they start you know doing things and going outwards well you know what i think's interesting being a 50 year old dude that still kind of it, it like lives in your world like the younger dudes because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in the graffiti business and street mm -hmm. art business and street clothes streetwear business so i kind of yeah, you know the 17th letter seventh so, letter yeah i started letter, the seventh letter a long time ago with oh. a friend of my name that's your brand this yeah so it's a crew oh man I yeah didn't... yeah Yo. i mean i got seventh letter here and seventh oh, letter okay. there love to collaborate with you on something but the point is like I, I think now kids have more options of people to idolize and look up to, mm. you know? It's like, that's why I said I teared up when my kids were into the, the Chance mm. stuff because there was no Chance the Rapper for me, dog. There was N.W.A. Mm. Yo, Joey was, we listened to the Ghetto Boys and like when we were living on Burbank, like all yeah. the music we listened to yeah. was a direct reflection of what was going on. I'm sure kids look up to you because yeah. your their experience with you is motivating, you know, yeah. because you didn't have an easy <laughs> route. It wasn't easy for you. Mm -hmm. You had tough stuff going on in your life and you still somehow were able to maintain that positivity and not only maintain it, but project it. And so I'm grateful that the kids now have options of mm -hmm. people to look up to. I mean, our world is in turmoil, but they're still in the hood. There's good dudes doing good things. Yeah. Like you Nipsey? are a prime example of that, you know? Yeah, like Nipsey for sure. You know, it's like, but we didn't have the, we couldn't do it. They were silencing us. We couldn't buy property because we didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. You couldn't, you didn't, now you didn't have the, the resources that, that, that you, that they have now. So, so big ups to that, man. Like I give right. you a lot of props for, for going against the grain to a certain extent mm -hmm. and, and, and being a, a hood hero to some of these kids and, and giving, like, you know, and you'll see when you get to be my age, you'll see, you'll look back and you'll see a lot of little dudes that you, mm -hmm. you got with that really went and did some things and that will, that will pay homage to you for that. You or, went against the grain, but with the grain. Makes sense. Like mm -hmm. you did it, like you felt like you did it your way, but you made it flow your way, you know? So you're going against it. It's just making it work for you. Yeah. So that it came with you where you went. Yeah, man. I appreciate yeah. that. You know, I think that I appreciate the acknowledgement for sure. Um, yeah, cause even in my, yeah, like, I think, I think that is, a something to, to consider and, and, you know, and to take on too, right? Like I, I did the college thing, you know, a lot of my friends like didn't, mm. they're like, are oh, you crazy? Spent all that money, you know, you know, and it's just like, um, trying to find routes to have it, to really have it all. And not feel like I couldn't have, I can do this and I could like do this. You know, I could only be in one place at one time. Just like realizing that I can kind of design this thing how I want it to be. Like Kanye was big around the time that I wasn't like going to college. So the whole college dropout thing was yeah, like that record's the a shit mantra. Too, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like love that album. But you know, it was like, it was more of a point to people around me or peers to be like, well, why are you actually in school? You know what I mean? Like a lot of the people that I actually hung around with. So. I think that, uh, I think when you said that going to grain, against the grain, but with the grain, it made sense to me in that way. And it's like, well, I need to figure out, cause like, this is gonna make a difference for me in my life. It's actually gonna make a really difference for my family, showing it, being an example for my family. If I finish this thing out right. to my younger cousins, at the same time, I know I'm gonna be, I'm probably gonna be left with a little bit of debt. So how do I minimize that as the best way I can? And then what do I do after that? And and even that whole thing was, man, just figuring out how to 
how I fit in the advertising industry didn't fit. Had to freelance all this time. Nobody would really hire me for real. I, re I was really pushing illustration of what I wanted to do. And I end up in these places, in these agencies, doing like grunt work or doing like this production design, this monotonous work, feeling zapped, like completely zapped. And on the weekend, I go and do things for friends. Design yeah. these album covers yeah, for this. Yeah, hot shit. Yeah. And ultimately, and I didn't realize at the time, it's like I'm trying to climb this ladder to get to this creative director role. But I got access to that through somebody in my own community. Yeah. It was a shit on the side that actually elevated my practice and what I do. And then our agencies are looking back like, damn, um, damn, we didn't know that you could do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, now we want you to come here and speak to our employees. So going against you know? the grain is better than going with the grain because yeah. you get to the front of the line going against it. But when exactly. you go with it, you stand and wait. You go line. inward, man. It's like, yeah. you know, like, that's why you, it's, it's against the grain in some way out here. Right. But it's with the grain internally. Yeah. Like, right. yo, I'm going yeah. inward. I'm gonna like have these conversations. I'm gonna make these determinations on my own. I'm not gonna let these people in this office give value to me or what I do. Right? Did you ever work with White no. and Kennedy? No, I didn't. No, White and Kennedy. I I don't think they have an office in Chicago. Yeah. Um, their main one is in like Seattle. So I'm gonna give you a story to think about that. So a mm -hmm. good friend of mine, um, his name is Michael Delahut. He writes Wise from KSN. Mm -hmm. He we we went. He was in the Valley. You probably met him. He went to Taft or some school in West Valley. Um, <laughs> He, was, he did art center, our art school, and as he was putting his resume together, he was like, should I put graffiti on my resume? Hmm. And I was like, absolutely. He's like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, dude, we, we do branding. You drive on the freeway, you drive down the street, like we know where to be. Like yeah, eventually absolutely. this thing is gonna flip and they're mm -hmm. gonna be coming to us because we know this block like nobody else. You know, They send a scout, but we know it. Yeah. And he was like, no, I'm not gonna do it. So he didn't do it. But when he got there, first week first couple weeks or month of his job they found out he's a graffiti artist and the creative director called him in and said let's sit down and talk and he spent his first two years only working on outdoor graffiti related campaigns that's dope because they gave him so much props this was right when things were kind of shifting he mm -hmm. worked with espo he worked with reese and all the dudes from a life you know and doing like outdoor jordan media phone booth campaigns mm -hmm. so you know and that was because he was and not what he had learned in school but what he had learned on the streets mm -hmm. yeah so having both is key though because if he hadn't gone to school he wouldn't have gotten in that room absolutely man yeah that's the, that's what's crazy you know you know i think they're like when going through the educational system it's always that you have to be something other than what you are. I mean, I think advertising is always, like, we have a lot of things in our world, a lot of media that's pushed to us about um, things that we don't have that we need, right? The lack of, and not a lot about bringing ourselves completely to the thing, right? And yeah. being enough, like, just who we are. So I think that's that's common, right? And to, to have the experience of like, oh, maybe my real self or the real thing is maybe a little too much and maybe won't fit in that space. But it's exactly who you are and exactly what they need to do, whether they realize it or not. Because maybe like three years before that, they wouldn't have called him into the office and they wouldn't have had that conversation. It's great to see things turning around. But I mean, I think that's a that's a huge lesson for the youth and people that are, are in school is like, yeah, you were raised in the hood, but never forget that and never for, forget to bring all of what you are to the situations you're in. Because yeah. mm -hmm. that's the things that's going to like just make the distinction between your perspective, your outlook, how you approach a problem, how you think about a solution. The other people can't because they don't have the same experiences. And we need like the diversity of those experiences in rooms at these agencies so they don't do goofy campaigns like the Chanel blackface, I mean the uh, Gucci 
a blackface yeah. sweater. You know what yeah. I mean? They don't make these these. I mean, things, if you ask you know? me, I think that was intentional. Yeah, they, right. They won't tell you that. Yeah, that's the, but given the time, you know, with Trump and all yeah. the all the issues, that is no the way other the argument. World, there's no way in the world that somebody let that out, not weighing out the good and the bad on that one. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that with the case for that Revoke was in with H and M? Did you um, see all that? I was saw going on? what they were trying to make. They well, he they'd used his art in a campaign. Yeah, and he said, "What are you doing?" And they tried to sue him and get him in trouble for doing outdoor art. And he won that case. He won that one. Yeah, but then they didn't they aren't, weren't they trying to pass a law saying it is legal if it's outside? Absolutely. Or something? Did they do that? That's, that's no, it's not. It's not that that case is 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 very big for for the artist side of things Dope. for big corporations to not just be able to bully us out of our creative process regardless yeah. of whether it's public art or not so i don't think they've made a determination but that'll be a case in point where it's like no you don't have the right to use this for for anything else unless you have approval from the artist mm-hmm. yeah man so yeah. That, that's yeah that's important <laughs> an important story my lawyer friend he posted about it as soon as it happened but yeah, that's I remember seeing that. I mean, like, yeah, he won the case and he donated a lot of the money to outdoor arts in Detroit yeah. because he, you know, has spent some time there and yeah. he really, you know, he obviously he needs the money. We all need the money, right? But he was like, you know what? This will make it a lot easier and it'll be something that helps more than just myself. So I'm not sure how that all panned out, but he's a revokes a good dude, yeah. you know, and he's from the seventh letter. Dope. He's one of our brothers. Yeah, I follow him. So um, you know that we're doing this uh, light up LA. Yeah. party with Akon and Snoop and a bunch of other people Joey had this vision about and I know that you're going to participate why don't you tell us a little bit about what, what people can expect to see from you yeah um, with the screening and whatever else you're doing yeah That'd for sure so for light up um, we're we'll be screening the let's Just be therapy uh, documentary it's a documentary that my friend Dugan Kim did for uh, for me in 2018 or around me I was like I'm like the subject of the documentary and it um he directed and dp'd it he directed it the dp is out here now his name is anthony casanova oh, that's what it was, okay. yeah so um the documentary is 2018 preparation for a solo exhibition in singapore um and we kind of unearthed a lot of things about my art practice and why i create the work that i create so a lot of it talks about the, like the mental health is real brand um where that came from and then just talks about my experience in chicago and I think, uh, I, yeah, that's all I really want to say about it. I don't want to like ruin it for, yeah, for folks. Yeah. Right yeah. on, right on. Um, but yeah, that, that'll be uh, screening at, at uh, Light Up. And then the, the other piece is a, a phone piece. I created this sort of this table, this installation where the rotary phones and the phones are programmed that when you pick them up and you listen or interact with them, they tell you a fact or a statistic about mental illness mm. in the United States. They give you a definition of a mental illness someone's personal story or a poem. And the whole idea about that is just like, mental health, mental illness is becoming like this buzz term. It's out here in the world, it's you know, around. But I think that um, what happens next is like, how do we make distinctions within that? Like, how do we further have the uh, evidence or like opportunities to hear people's stories, right? Yeah. To empathize with what people are actually experiencing. Uh, I, I think for me, art is a great empathy builder, you know, and I try to like use it as a way to kind of educate so you, hear about other people's stories and you learn about things you didn't know about so that uh, we have a better understanding of, of one another, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the piece that will be on display and I'll have a couple of other uh, works on display as well. Some of the mental health is real merch, some of the, the mind your mental merch, merch in the space too. Right on. And uh, you're also gonna be at ComplexCon, correct? Mm-hmm. So those of you out there that are going to ComplexCon. What are the dates of ComplexCon? Well, the panel. 
We're also doing the panel. Yes. Uh, yes, it light up. So that's the other thing. And ComplexCon. Yeah, so if you're at ComplexCon, stop by and mention Space Between. Yes. Get a hug. Get a pound. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. Dates at ComplexCon are... Uh, dates at ComplexCon are November... I think it's the second and third. It's the first weekend of no- November. Okay. So I have a booth at ComplexCon, have some work there as well. Um, I'm doing a project that... I own a, s- a store in Chicago called The Invisible Space. An invisible space is a store and like an art destination designed to challenge the narratives that exist around underserved communities. Like so mm. communities like the South Side, communities like where I'm from, but then also communities of people even that don't have visibility, right? It's all about like elevating those narratives and challenging what people think they know about those spaces. And also with the people in the spaces, challenging what they see as possible in those spaces. Cause a lot nice. of times I feel like uh when you when you're told a certain thing or you believe something is the way it is you can't even imagine it changing or being another thing unless it shows up so that's the intention for invisible space to be that thing that that shows up in the space um so that that exhibition is called newsstand and meditation on time and it's a conversation between how my past informed my now and then what is the now uh version of these um stories that challenge these pre-existing and narratives and that's gonna come in the form of a, a newspaper that I designed, collaborated with on a bunch of writers and a, a bunch of people that are submitting their personal stories, content, news stories. And you're gonna be giving those away or selling them at the Those group. those papers will, I'm gonna sell them just for uh for costs. So they'll yeah. be three dollars a piece nice. for the newspapers. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to do it like completely free, but definitely want to make you sure releasing? do that. Uh the first run of them we're doing anywhere from fifteen hundred to a thousand. I mean fifteen hundred to two thousand. I'd like to reserve a handful. Okay. I'll cool. be there. Uh, I'll be definitely on the floor because we got a couple different people we work with and things that we're doing. Big cool. shout out to Ron Walden at ComplexCon and Rich Antonello um, for doing something so special. But yeah, ComplexCon is definitely a good place to get with people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It's been, a, I think, a huge thing with connecting people in the community. Um, and, you know, I think the... Man, what's, the internet in many ways is impersonal, right? Because you don't get that face-to-face interaction with people. So it really gives people the opportunity to kind of meet people yeah, and be in this same space. And that makes a huge difference with connecting with folks and working with people um, that we wanted to work with, that we were thinking about. Man, when you're in the same proximity, it's a whole other thing to happen. So at Invisible Space, we do programming and uh, events kind of uh, catered around providing people with tools for health and wellness. So we do some yoga, we do some meditation, some Qigong. Uh, and then we have other events like educational events we did. We're, our friend Portia King is doing like a um, uh, like a PR workshop for people that are interested in, in public relations and being you know helping right. people with public relations. It's just different things like that. How to build a brand. So we're trying to do things like that to give people tools, man. The the mantra or like theme tagline of the brand is Iron Sharpens Iron, and it's it's about you know it's really about how you who you surround yourself with and how you. Um, connect to share resources. Um, For me, when I was coming up, I had to go to a different place for art class. I had to go to a different place to experience a lot of things. So I'm trying to find opportunities and reasons for people not to have to go outside of their community to experience things. And and, um, what happens too, like on the South side is that, at least from, from my experience is like, you don't know who your next door neighbor was like you used to know who they were years ago, like in the 60s and 70s and like, I just feel like we're not having conversations about um, 
our professionalism, uh, the things that we are, we're, we are experts at, and things we have experience at, and sharing it with other people within the same community. So it's an opportunity for people to do that. Iron sharpens iron. I need to know what, what's going on, though. Like, what, do you ex- what is your expertise? Or what is your level of expertise in sharing mine? Oh, I can show how to do this. And oh, you may know a little bit about chakras. Hey, I know a little bit about hydration. You know, let's talk about how uh, when did this you health know? thing. When did you know, because you're doing these things, what age did you identify yourself as a spiritual person? You know what I'm saying? For me, I knew that time because I wouldn't have said something like that. But like at what time did you, someone say something like, you'd be like, no, I'm a spiritual person. How did you know that? Well, my grandfather was, uh, my grandfather's from Louisiana and he was a, he was a sharecropper in Louisiana. And he was like the, the fastest person, like the fastest on the field. So he got paid more. Even when he was younger, he got paid more than the older guys because he was just like good at what he did, right? But he, he has this, um, he has this quality about himself. He's a, a, a people person. He used to call my, my grandmother old soul. He's always called her old soul. And it was just something that he would say. It was like a name he, he gave to her, right? But in his, he, everyone had nicknames. All of my, I have like 17, 18 cousins, like first cousins. He gave everybody his own name for them, right? right? <laughs> so, I mean, the, and the funniest and the craziest things, and it usually associated a tie to a memory or something about that person at a different stage in life. And um, old soul was one that always s- stuck to me in from just when I was younger and just um, really being curious, as curious as I was about things, I convinced myself and like knew like, you know, uh, I, I think I have an old soul, you know what I mean? I think I kind of fit the description. I, I understand what my granddad, when he, when he says that, what he was saying. So I always kind of felt like I had this connection, um, whether my former self or like past life or whatever, right. um, or, or like information or insight to what was to what was going on or um and then whether it was creativity or vision or like outlook and i think from that point i kind of i would uh, art is also meditative and i don't know if i built that built that sense of that instinctiveness through art you spend all these this long time alone kind of creating this thing you get to know yourself pretty well yeah I, f- I feel like that you get to see yourself out on the paper as you're drawing this thing whether you're doing a self-portrait or you're drawing your interpretation of something so i think from that point i kind of I knew and understand and when I got to like the meditation kind of affirmed a lot of things yeah. and the healing classes and stuff affirmed a lot of things and I would um, I would do well in that type of stuff you know and I would I had these conversations um, with my instructor at the time and she would just kind of put me on to a lot of this a lot of these things that kind of just let me know like man I'm in the right place you know all this didn't happen for, for no reason yeah. um, this is my this is my space and it kind of it speaks to my past so run it yeah yeah it's interesting when it starts to feel right it just feels like you start to feel like you know it's like when you feel good a certain day like you start to wonder what what i what i eat because i'm in a really good mood right now yeah it's like everything's firing properly like they say your full potential yeah and when you find that it's that's the thing with mental health it's like you actually think that probably the most amazing thing on this planet is is to go through this feeling and and to nurture and go wow I'm, i'm finding my union with god I mean, it yeah. sounds kind of heavy, but it's really just finding yourself. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. That's a, you, you, you uh, catching a vibe and you, you're on the path, man. Yeah. Um, I think that is, uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's super important. And uh, lately I've been kind of coming to this, this uh, understanding about um, myself from, from my perspective is that I'm, a, I'm co-creating like this life with the universe. 
Like I'm not always at the wheel driving because I can't, I can't determine what might happen, what could happen. Uh, there, there are situations and possibilities I end up in that I they, they didn't come from a string of decisions and I didn't know they were going to happen. Right? You just end up in these situations and connect with these people that you never never knew. So, you know, uh, my take on a lot of things that I do right now is, man, I'm 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 a co-creator. Um, it's not about what I want to happen all the time. I got to be aware of the situation and what the universe is waking me up to. And I have to know when to take the wheel on these situations and when to chill and let the things play out. Um, because it's not just all about me and what I see going on in this space. Uh, and that that's like made a difference for me. And, and as far as like anxiety or pressure, I feel like to deliver and do, to do these things. Like it's not about that. You can't force or make anything happen. Like I don't know if, if the universe has art in store for me in five, I really don't like. I, I think so, you know. And I'm continuing to create art, but but who knows? Um, so like that, as far as the path and path building thing has been very like um, influential to me lately, man. And trying to just be open to it, bro. Just like, yeah. you know, not not try to steer it too much. Allow it instead of try to try to make it happen. Yeah. But it's interesting the way you speak. Um, I think that was one of the things that I, I resonated with is because of being where you're from and then speaking the way you're speaking is what we're doing. We're bridging consciousness in, in the urban world. Mm -hmm. What's urban? 98% of the population is urban. We're all trying to figure it out and make some money and get out of it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? But ultimately, it's kind of like when I heard you talking and like how people to love one another and how we can treat each other. And there was just, a, and it sounds corny, but just a little bit more of that but if we actually were able to experience this and be able to go to a, a, a mental health facility or a hospital and be going through an awakening, our children be going through an awakening, right? That we, they would know what to do with this, mm -hmm. you know, but they don't. And, and I think by what you're doing is gonna bring attention in the right way to help kids. Like even just listening to the wisdom as, as an artist and the things you said, people should listen, just listen to what you said and how you navigate through the world because you, I feel that what you, with how you said it, it's like you're in your mind. You are, you're channeling. When everyone else is talking all their shit and complaining and doing, you're in here creating colors, visions, and putting it on paper. And that's like staying with your, that's, that's a yogi in a cave, right? Mm -hmm. Why is he going to cave? He wants to get with what's going on in, in, in his dome. Mm -hmm. And I think an artist submerges himself in that art. And that's the beauty of it, to see what happens and comes out of that mind. And you're like, wow, that's heavy, right? And they say much, to be like, hey, you know, like that—that's it. That's all you had, like, and that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's channeling, you know. And I think that people sometimes also drink or they sedate themselves, thinking that they're going to get that, like, that spiritual connection to get that peace, because that's what it is. They're channeling, and so you think you could, you could, you could fake it, or you could get something, and you're like, oh, I got it. I'm, I'm going to do the next, you know, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But I think that's everybody chasing that spirit. Mm. That's what they call alcohol spirit. Mm. Spirits, right? Right? Yeah, man. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Not like, the right ones. We're we going to put you out there right now. Yeah. Yep. Open you up to the spirits. Yeah. That's it. But, you know. I got a question. Yeah, yeah. What's up with the field trip? Oh, yeah. So, uh, field trip was a program I started to do in 2017. Um, and it was... It's pretty. It's a simple concept, man. It's just like rent a bus full of students and take them to an art museum to experience art. Because the thing that happens is like in all of these cities, man. You know, they say, "Oh, dang!" You know, they got they they got 
their first Picasso exhibit in DC at this museum that they never like had it or whatever. I'm saying Picasso just because he's right. my name. It'd be Basquiat, whoever, right? It's like, oh, that's great. It's in city in, in the city, but if you don't get kids to the thing, they can't be inspired by the thing. And a lot of times it's like providing a seat for the kids to get in front of the thing and for whatever that needs to happen within that kid to happen because they just got in front of the thing. Mm. Like we can't imagine what's possible with uh, for these kids and people to create we can't imagine that's for them to decide but if they never get in front of the painting they never have the inspiration yeah to do the thing so i think a lot of it is like getting kids in front of the painting the simple thing right um this exhibit is going to be here from here to here and the kids that get to see it are going to see it and the ones they just won't i had like 10 years before that i had to fly to la to see mirakami's work I have to come all the way out here. I have to be very intentional about it. Now it's available in Chicago. I need to be seeing and getting as many kids as I can in front of the paintings so they can have their experience and have what they need to get them to the next. So we, we never know how, the, how what we encounter in life is gonna impact us in the future. We don't never intend for anything like that to be traumatic. But um, yeah, that was, that was the goal, man. It's just like, how can I facilitate the things that I can't even imagine it happening because it's going to lead to something else for these, these people. So I think I did three bus, bus fulls to Mirakami exhibit. And then we did some programming. I had an investor for a while that wanted to come on as a partner, but he, he couldn't handle what his, what his schedule and what he was doing. So a lot of my projects rolled into the invisible space, but that's what, that's what a field trip is. And we do programs every now and then through the invisible space. The next one we were taking, a group of students to see an exhibition or like a, a dance show at uh, the Harris Theater in Chicago on September 21st. Mm. So yeah, it's just a avenue, an opportunity, man, to take kids. We did something out here to some kids in Inglewood at uh, I can't think of the name of the school right now. Uh, I'm losing it, losing the name of the school. But we took a group of students, like grade school students, to see Black Panther when that came out, and we had a panel full of like. We had a panel, a crazy panel. We had the the hairdresser for Black Panther. She does like most of the Marvel films. Uh -huh. She was on the panel. Franklin Leonard, who does uh, Blacklist, was on the panel. Yeah. Um, uh, Adam McKay, who's a SNL, like a SNL writer, I think. He wrote Funny or Die. Um, he was like one of the founders of Funny, to, Funny or Die. We had a, a, venture, a black female venture capitalist on the panel as well. And it was just cool to like to bring the kids out to see this film and then have people that were involved with making the film right there to talk to them. Yeah. And Black Panther was a huge moment for people. Were they bugging? Yeah, they were like the kids were super hyped. And, was, and you know, a lot of them like this one kid in particular was like, I think I know what I wanted. I think I, this is what I want to do in life. I want to be a And director if you did it now. right there, just that one kid. If just that one kid was exposed and like all of a sudden you'd be like, and he'll come one day and thank you and be like, bro, that changed my life. Absolutely. Because at home I was going through some shit and I needed it right that day. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I think that's important. And, you know, that's just important to kind of, to facilitate and do because people did that for me. And whether it was those TV programs that I was listening to, like, you know, the person creating that probably couldn't come to my hometown and rent out a bunch of buses in the in the hopes that he would like reach a, reach a kid. But people did that for me in some way or not, you know? Um, the inspiration through the Ninja Turtles or whatever it, it might have been. So I feel like I owe it back to the, to people and kids and to do the same thing. So Field Trip is, is a lot of that. Yeah, and you broke it down. It, the simple fact that you make a mistake 
by not putting art in front of a kid and seeing what he's gonna do. Mm-hmm. It's like saying that's that's your, just get him in front of it. Yeah, that's the, the, their only opportunity is if they have the opportunity to do it. Right the thing, right? right. So you, as you're saying, it's like it makes so much sense to give him the opportunity. And the first thing schools do is take that shit away. Mm-hmm. And we should be doing more of that, Absolutely. more of these things that that kind of bring you to your center. You yeah. know. But field yeah. trips was were the highlight of anybody when you're in school. The field trip, man, you don't want to miss you the field wait trip. To right. Field trip. Yeah. Right. It's a I, reason. I grew, up, you know? I grew up in Louisville, and we went on some artistic. Like I was lucky. I went to private school, so we went on. We went to museums. Mm-hmm. We went to see plays. Mm-hmm. And it's weird being a thug. Like you think back. Like I was an usher at Actors Theater of Louisville, like seating people and shit. You know. Yeah. I saw Baryshnikov when I was a kid. That's you know, dope. Who's one of the greatest ballet dudes to ever do do it? You know, and if you think that probably had a really big impact on me that I can't even realize. Yeah, you know, dude with me is Gregory Hines. Do you remember him? Yeah, of he was dope. Yeah. He was from Chicago, wasn't he? Um, I don't know. He might have been from from I, Brooklyn. Was he? he Good was question. From, he was yeah, I gotta look that up now. Yeah, I probably I I don't know why. I thought Gregory that. Hines is dope, man. He was great. He did the movie Tap. Yes, I referred to that movie like two days ago in a conversation. Because there was this one part in the movie. We were, we were talking about, like, ayahuasca, like, ayahuasca trips. But there was this one part in the movie where he, um, he was in the streets in New York, and he... Um, he's from New York. He's oh, from he New, York, New York, yeah. Okay. He, was in, he was in the streets in, 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 in New York. He was doing his part, and he was talking about how, like, tap and creating this art was a part of listening to the environment around you and picking up the sounds around you. I could hear it in my ear when he would do that. He'd do yeah. the sand. He starts, I would be like, that's... That was like you hear before, it, yeah. it's like street did, like, yeah it was, it street was incredible mm-hmm. but that as an example for me as a kid because sammy davis was in that movie movie and stuff too was like damn he's he's taking inspiration from anywhere the place where you wouldn't normally think inspiration he's making a song out of it he's making a beat he's making a rhythm a pattern out of mm. it you know uh, and it just like relates related to me to how how the world feel when you're on like a psychedelic like everything every, i was talking about this the yeah, other yeah, day yeah. everything they kind of outline and the colors are vibrant yeah right? and you see the patterns and you see the music and hear the music and everything so i, I um when you said that it just made me think about that yeah because that was like thinking about the time that 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 was and that was like he was doing something with his feet the sand and, and what he had with him that yeah. was it yeah and you were like damn like that was ahead of its time yeah like he was doing that that's why i remember it so right when you said i could hear it in my head like yeah, and he started going yeah. yeah, that was that was great. Out of, out of all the people you've met along your in your journey mm-hmm. and you've worked with or just met, who would you say sticks out the most to you mm-hmm. that like as as an inspiration or someone you look up to? Hmm. My fr- my friend DeRay is like a is a big inspiration to me because of uh just what he does. And, and being good at what he's a really, really, really smart and well-informed and intelligent person. Um, so my friend DeRay, for sure. Older, like a big brother? No, no, no. We, we like around the same age. But he's just like, you know, I never, I'm in activism or doing things in activism because they feel right to me. Right. Like, it gives my work, per- it's like what I know needs to be done, right? Um, if I'm doing things in life, I wanted to also impact the things that mean the most to me, right? So I try to use art in that avenue. And he, he focuses like specifically on that and those opportunities in a much more concentrated way. Just a prolific speaker, just just great. He's like just just great with all of that. And I, I admire those things. 
Another friend, a uh, young guru who's a uh, Jay Z's engineer. Yeah, he DJed a club for me. Yeah, he DJed Apex. We should do a throwback hip hop club. Everybody yeah. should come through. He's mad cool. I love like Guru is amazing, yeah. and the gems and stuff, you know, he has, and that he passes on, um, and his ability and willingness to share and to talk is like is amazing. I mean, I, I regard like the Rockefeller is like the rap eras. Motown are probably the closest thing to it, right? They have all of these amazing producers, all of these amazing people in the studio creating this thing. And uh, for him to witness all of that, you know, Kanye from when he was coming up, Jay-Z's rise and what was going on with Damon, like all of these other producers that were in the space. And even being around with Swiss Beats and like all of these people, um, they contribute a lot to culture and they contributed uh, a lot to entertainment, positivity, music is healing. Um, so he's just like he's like a great dude, and he has those those stories and those gems, man. Right. He dropped a gem, and it's one this one uh, talk that we did that just like I I use it all the time. And he, what he he said, uh, you don't get paid what you deserve, you get to pay, you get paid what you negotiate. And that was just like a powerful gem for me. It's like damn, you can't you, so you can't really feel salty about what you agreed to like take on for this project. Cause you get paid what you negotiate, not what you, not what you feel like you That's deserve. Right. I'm gonna use that one. Yeah. So it was like I'm like that, you know. But out of all the people, I think those two for sure. That's a great analogy though that uh, Rockefeller is like our art modern day Motown. Because yeah. you're right, you know, from a from an aesthetic, from what came out of it, you know, mm -hmm. like there's all kinds of other labels, but no one was nearly as consistent or successful. Yeah. And there was some good messages coming out of it too. It wasn't just about the cash grab, you know, mm -hmm. Jay Z. Jay-Z is a phenomenal person, mm -hmm. phenomenal human, and has, was able to overcome a lot. Yeah. Uh, did you see the talk with Dave Letterman that he did? I did. Amazing. I did, yeah. One thing I always talk about, and I think I spoke on this, he's like, I didn't grow up with those skills of how to maintain a relationship with mm -hmm. my woman. Like, I just, if it gets tough, I'm shaking. Mm -hmm. But if I'm in a room and somebody walks in with a gun and they look shady like something's about to pop off, I know it's time to go, mm -hmm. you know? and I, I thought that was amazing, you know, because that is, you know, my time. That was my time because I'm older. That was our time. Yeah. That's how me and Joey would see somebody walk into a party and be like, that's the knucklehead that's going to cause a problem. Immediately. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, like this, you could walk in and I wouldn't be looking and you'd just be like, looking around and you'd be like, there watch that cat right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, but if you told us that, you know, how to, how to repair a problem with our girlfriend, we just yelled and argued through it until somebody cowered enough to just not care anymore about what was going on. Hmm. So that's it, man. All right, are we done? I don't know. Let's do it again. I want to say thank you to uh, Brandon for coming out. I want to thank Marley for, for putting this together. We really appreciate it. And I want to and thank I'll Tina for just being just a gangster. Seriously, we're holding this together. And yo, Scott, thank Scott. you. Scott likes hugs. Yeah. He likes Scott. Yeah, and, and, and everybody Chewy, look at it. Big not shout done, out to Chewy for holding me down now. Yo, the, yo, there. yeah. There you go. So this is just something and 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 it's the things that we say, whatever it is, it's just this is our expression of how we feel and, and experiences that we're going through. So Sant Nam, thank you for listening. It's much appreciated. Uh thank you, Sant Nam. <laughs>